being strengthened, being strengthened. being strengthened with all power according to his glory, glorious might, for the display of all presence and satisfying joyful, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified to you to share the in the saints inheritance in the light. He delivered us from the... the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin he is imagined of the invisible god the firstborn over all earth were created by him all things whether visible or invisible whether thrones or demons their principles or powers all things were created through him and for him he himself is being all things and all things are held together in him he is the head of the body of the church as well as the being of the firstborn among the dead so that he himself may become first in all things for god was pleased to have all in his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or in heaven. Lord, be to God. Thank you for that reading. You may be seated. Thank you, Brielle. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly. Now, most Bibles are 6th to 8th grade reading level, and I told Shelby, Brielle's mother, to pick the NIV. Nope, you picked the net. And the net, um, not only is it smaller font, normally when any of us older people read scripture at Defiance Church, we grab the NIV because we can see it. Um, uh, but, but Brielle got, got uh, some bigger words than would have been in the NIV in that passage of scripture, but she did excellent this morning. And it's a beautiful passage there in, in Colossians that sort of speaks of this. I mean, um, so we're getting a, a preview of sort of the summer and the fall. Um, in the summer, we're going to be going into the book of Proverbs. Um, and that'll be uh, for the next couple summers. So we'll do Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Job, and unless the Lord returns, Song of Songs. Um, I anticipate... Small attendance during that sermon series, just too awkward. Um, well, yeah, Brian, of course, you'll be here. But um, um, the uh, 
And then in the fall, we're, we're going to be returning back to Paul. We haven't done anything from Paul in quite some time, and so we'll be going back to the Pauline corpus in the fall, too. Um, and I'm looking forward to both of those. But both of those speak to sort of where we've been and where we're going. Um, so we have been doing this sermon series looking at what does it mean to be Defiance Church. Five years ago when I came here, we did a Defiance 101 series, which was this way of sort of thinking about what does it mean to be, and that was when we changed our name uh, on Easter five years ago. And so we did a series sort of like walking through what does this name mean for us and how would we explain it to the world. And now that it seems to have been more accepted. I don't know if it's universally accepted in the valley, but people go, oh, there's a church named Defiance. It's, it's time to ask the question then, who are we as a people after that? And so we've been walking through that um, in hopes that this will guide us for the, the next couple of years. Kim and I were talking before the service, and as much as these um, sermons have been a little scattered shot, um, they're not classical sermons like we'll have this summer where I get to dive deep into Proverbs and walk through a section, uh, expand it out to the rest of Scripture, but really learn um, from a particular passage. These are, are saying, how do you n make a tapestry? Um, a tapestry, I guess, is the way David told me I'm supposed to say it. Uh, a mosaic. We'll just pick a different word like Elmer Fudd. Um, a mosaic of of what scripture tells us. And so we're not looking and zooming in at one particular passage, but trying to knit together what is the bigger picture of what's going on in scripture as that means for Defiance Church. So not just um, Grand Theology 101, but sort of like what does that mean for our particular congregation here on earth? And one of the things that Kim and I were saying, it was like, if I do this, and I, we never have it come back up in our common life over the next five years, then I largely failed. Um, the goal for these is to be more like groundings for us, to be things that we return to, to a language that we can adopt and talk as we begin to process what it means to live in, in, in a disordered world as today's word is order. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. So the first week we... Um, we looked at our mission statement. The mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reckon, to to be a witness to the reign of the Triune God, reconciling all things to Himself. And we asked, what does this mean for us here? At this level, I, I, I mentioned that most churches have uh, a mission statement. My last church, it was a witness, invite, nurture. Um, it, you could see it similar to this in some ways. It also spelled win, and I was like, well. Christianity would be more like lose if you, if you make it to the end of the book. But win, too. But, but in this earth, in this time, it's more like lose. But anyways, most churches, their first level statement would have a lot in common with ours. Um, uh, particularly today, you'll see renewal of all things. But the, the one distinctive, as I've always tried to point it out, is we are a witness to it. We're not the thing itself. The Defiance Church doesn't think that it is participating in the renewal of all things, um, I think is bold even to suggest, is that we see God's work of bringing things to renewal and reconciliation. And what we do is bring our lives to witness to that. But it keeps the work properly as God's work. And our ability to, to sort of be um, drawn towards that. The next is this image which we've used over and over again of of this three, three, uh, 
three-strand sort of rope, or DNA, I've called it, um, but sort of this way of tying together this into one thing. And we talked about the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And faith, hope, and love, I love in, in 1 Corinthians 13, remain. And these things, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And so for us, what does it mean to look at these things that remain? And as I've been thinking about this more, I've, I've said this before, because of the nature of myself, the church work, and everything else, I, I have to begin a sermon series before I know where it's going. Um, so that's exciting <laughs> for all of us. Um, but, but I think of these as more the path that we walk. How are we going about being the people of Defiance Church in the world? Faith, hope, and love. Because it's these three things that remain. And faith, we talked about, is this way of trusting in God through God's past acts and patterns for us. So that guards us, uh, we, we, that arrives from our past, having seen the goodness of God, having seen that God has rescued Israel from Egypt and raised Jesus from the dead. That inspires faith in up for us. The next hope uh, is our future sort of oriented one. We look towards the future, the reconciliation of all things in our mission statement going backwards. We look towards that day when God brings it all back together, and that gives us hope for the future. And then the way in which we sort of live knowing that faith and looking towards that future in the present is love. And classically for Christians, it's defined as love of God and love of neighbor. Um, we, could, we could get more into that, and we will probably someday, but we'll just keep it. I've got a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to today um, because we've got other things to talk about. And so then as, as we looked at this, and when I came up with this project three years ago and, and kicked off not wanting to do it and wanting to do it but feeling worried and ashamed and uh, how do you share something that you've been thinking, all that stuff. We Remember the life of the project thing that we shared the first time where it was like, this is a great idea. This is harder than I thought. Dark night of the soul. Um, it's okay. At least it's done. Um, that was sort of where I was. And so we have our one, the witness. I called it the one, three, five. What is our one thing? What are the three things that guide us? And then what are the five sort of more distinctive things of Defiance Church? And so the first week we looked at word and what does it mean that God's word comes to us um, in the Bible, but also in, a, in an exterior way. Um, and it, it's the history of God's past acts with humanity. Confession, that was word. Confession uh, was one that we looked at as it... Um, is our way of languaging God into the world. It's not just the way we confess our sins, but it's the way that we sort of name and language this God. We narrate the world. We make a space for that. The other thing um, uh, with confession was it, it, it comes into our worship service a lot. It's a lot of what we do that isn't perhaps reading of scripture or enacting the sacraments. Confession is this thing that um, we... Uh, sing. We confess the goodness of God. We confess that God is active in our midst. We confess. Confession has this way in which we are vocalizing that which God has done or witnessing to it. That, that confession has this uh, deeper thing for us. In, in light of today, this was a quote I had for confession that we didn't make it to, but to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Um, 
That is one sense what we do in prayer and confession. We bring our hands together in prayer. And to do that is to place yourself in relation to God in such a way that you join um, in uprising against the disorder of the world. The next one uh, last week was tradition, which we took as the image of a well. Um, uh, and I know it's a little abstract, but that you can get it. It, it took me a minute when I typed into the icon generator well and this came up and I was like how's that a well and I was like oh I got it Um, but anyways uh, we took it as this well in which we pull backwards we sort of look backwards to our past in an era defined by choosing where we're always being taught to choose 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 and oftentimes we choose forward one of the things that defiance church wants to do to aim to pull us away from the rat race of always choosing forward is to choose backwards Um, we talked about C.S. Lewis's quote on reading old books um, and we looked at other things in tradition is in the way that it is handed down. And I forgot that tradition actually means handed down. And so even in communion, Paul says, from what I've received and passed on to you, even in the earliest Christian documents, the later parts of the New Testament, we find that they're receiving and passing things down. And one of the distinctives of Christianity is that this isn't genetic. It's not familial but it's done through faith. And so we receive these things in a different way. Which brings us to order for today. This is 100% a joke, and it's less of a joke because I made it that way. So here's our icon for order. Uh, It is not our icon for order. Uh, It is classically an icon for order, but it is not our icon for order. One of the things this this icon sort of displays or uh, image uh, religious symbol is is that you you have in the dark order a point in which it overwhelms and then you need chaos again and you have in chaos this point in which order sort of comes and if you have too much order it leads to chaos and if you have too much chaos it it, it needs to come back to order it's the cyclical thing and eastern religions generally have a larger appreciation for Um, cyclical. If you read Thomas Cahill's Gift of the Jews, he sort of projects that that one of the unique things of Christianity and Judaism was that they see sort of progress in history more than other sort of um, indigenous religions or even Eastern religions. So this is not our our one for order. I'll get to the one we have for order, but one of the reasons why I don't think that is is a good one for us is this quote from G.K. Chesterton. The more I considered Christianity, the more that I found it established a rule and an order. The chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. The order that God established has within it places for us to have freedom. So it's not that chaos, and and chaos is certainly part of that Genesis narrative we'll we'll probably talk about a little bit today. God is one who brings order out of disorder, who brings um, the order of creation out of chaos. There was a children's Bible or children's counting book that we have at home that has the days of creation paired in such a way that you can see how they're filling. So you have night and then stars, you have land and then animals, you have... um, Uh, the sea, and then all the fish within it. And when you see it that way, you see that what the author of Genesis is telling you in that creation narrative is this ordered picture of the universe, the way that God separates, the way that God makes, that these things are there. And yet that order is not um, totalitarianism. God's order doesn't run into that type of threat. Some people have that picture of God, 
But that's not what we find confessed throughout the Bible. We find confessed and told without the Bible is it's an order that is actually, first off, good for us. It allows for our flourishing. And our flourishing is in freedom. Now, the classical distinctions of freedom is there is freedom from. America is like 100% when we say freedom from, we mean freedom from. Or freedom, we mean freedom from. So we mean freedom from what you can tell me to do, um, where I can worship, freedom from uh, intellectual sort of pushing on me, freedom from limits, freedom from control. It's almost, and I, I was at a book study for Rosie's school this week. When you, when you think about freedom in America, it's almost like there's freedom in illegal, and freedom of an illegal exist in tension. I'm allowed to do whatever I want as long as it's not illegal. But classically in Christianity, it's freedom to. We find ourselves free to be at rest with God. We find ourselves free to practice and be in the theological virtues. We find ourselves free to be bound in love to one another. So freedom existing only in tension with limits, or perhaps even more clearly with illegality, is not a helpful way to define freedom. This is where maybe a symbol like the yin-yang symbol can make more sense because it exists in that dialectic sort of tension. But in Christianity, we find that there is room in this order for good things to run wild. That this is not the nature of the order that God established. Um, So I wanted to do the... uh, the baseball diamond, the interior for a second, third base home plate. Kelly said no. Um, and so this is what we got for the moment uh, in time is this sort of nature of like if you could imagine these dots sort of all jumbled and then putting them into order. And how do we put things into order? Brian and Carla um, are moving this week. There's a lot of bringing order to the chaos of what a couple of us dropped out on your house on Wednesday and said, see you later, have fun. Um, yesterday, um, and this is why this sermon, uh, Saturday's the day where all the notes I take get organized, and you guys are like, oh, you organize them, cute. They're more organized sometimes, I swear. Yeah, um, the, uh, and so yesterday we had a, a church work day in which we sort of looked at the disorder of our building and then aimed to bring order to it. We exist in this a lot in the modern world. One of the ways um, that I love this is, well, first off, I would say that when, when we say that order is one of our goals, it implies disorder. Going back to that Bart quote, it's, it's this idea that when we pray, we join into the an uprising against the disorder of the world. And this is, it's interesting because actually going through this book study with Rosie Schools is, is it implies creation, right? It's, in, it's a secular school, and, and most of them are probably more uh, hippie, maybe, is the word for that, than, than I am. But creation implies creator. Like, when you talk about the creation, you talk in a way that implies that there was some creator to this. In the same way, when you talk about order, you imply that there is, in some sense, disorder, And what the the Bible tells us is that we, since the fall, going back to the book of Genesis, have lived in a disordered world, in a disordered relationship. In the classic way of understanding sin, disordered relationships to God, relationship to God, disordered relationship to others, and one that we probably feel more intensely today, although bleeds into all three, disordered relationship to ourselves. 
who among us does not feel disordered in their selves, in themselves at times, that we uh, live in that way. Other words that, that I thought of for this, peace was one of them. I think peace is this beautiful word, but it becomes very benign in our world. And of course, order and peace are, are the same thing. Which one precedes the other? I mean, um, the creation that God does is one that exists in harmony. You could have had peace there, perhaps. And the earliest fracturing, which we often forget of of um, the creation after the fall, is the beginning of violence. It's not like they have a fall and then they invent consumerism and then they do all this. It's, it's straight up that goes to murder. It goes to blood crying out from the ground. That that's the first consequence we see of what it means to live in a disordered world. Peace uh, implies violence in some ways. And, and, and these are not in tension in the way that God, in that we think about. These are not, um, uh, what's the word for, dualist thinking. Um, but they imply that there's peace is the state we're supposed to be in. Violence is what takes us away from that. The other word that I had considered was beauty, which is one that I think arises out of Scripture in so many different ways, um, but is not uh, named as much. Uh, but beauty implies then sort of distortion, too, or ugliness, that we have these sort of ways of tearing down which was designed in one way and making them into another way. Um, and that... Um, is one of the challenges of sort of beginning to talk about these sort of things. I'm trying to think, I have lots of quotes, and then I have the Bible um, that we read today too. So uh, order, uh, we did the yin-yang joke. Uh, there's uh, Order is this thing that is transcendent to us, um, and imminence and transcendence are two ways that we classically talk about sort of uh, God in the world. And so transcendent is beyond, imminent is near for us. And so one of my favorite ways of Christologically defining um, transcendence and order is, uh, or transcendence and imminence, imminence is that the word became flesh, God became near to us. Eugene Peterson says the word became flesh and, and dwelled in the neighborhood. That's imminence. Transcendence is um, that the grave could not hold him, that in some sense he was beyond that. But we live in it, and this is going to bleed into multiple different parts of the sermon, is, is that we live in a world that is almost fully defined by imminence. The transcendent order means less and less. And so uh, the philosopher of the 1950s, let's say early 1900s to 1950s, Eric Vogelin, talked about the ways in which when we lose transcendence, we invent new religions. And one of the new religions, he, he defines them all under sort of the logo of Gnosticism. But he says what happens is, is we first think sexuality and um, uh, hedonism and all these other things can contain, but they actually turn out to be pretty weak gods for us. And so the next god we choose after that is the new political religions that sort of everything is politicized, that there's no way to escape that. That's over and over again. And, and it, Vogelin is, is what he points out in his study of several thinkers is that there becomes a point in which you can't ask questions anymore. It's, it's the Gnostic way in which you've gotten the knowledge uh, Gnostic gnosis, knowledge is the word root there. When you've gotten the knowledge, you begin to be able to process the world in these ways. But if something arises that, that sort of questions that material, it's shut off. Um, so there's 
there's two quotes probably I want to do here. First is, uh, Vogelin, no one is obliged to take in the spiritual crisis of a society. On the contrary, everyone is obliged to avoid the folly and live his or her life in order. Is that as we look at the spiritual crisis of our society and the rising of these new political regions, and you could, you could throw the hedonism is not like lost yet. Um, there's a, a, a more comical quote um, that I think... Uh, I have in here from Malcolm Muggeridge, I don't, about uh, Hitler and Hugh Hefner, that in time uh, society will either choose when it doesn't have God to be ruled by Hitler or Hugh Hefner, the, the, the eroticism or violence in some ways. Um, I don't think hedonism is entirely lost, but, but in some sense he says uh, we're, we can be obliged to avoid the folly of that order. And, and going to what Emily read from Proverbs, that is one of the classic themes of Proverbs. You can be in wisdom or you can be in folly. And there are voices crying out. And Emily read from Lady Wisdom crying out to sort of like bring people into this order that was bound in creation. There are other voices in the book of Proverbs when we study it next summer. One is a father instructing his son who's sort of the reader in the book. So you have a father who is instructing the son, Lady Wisdom, who's instructing us, and as we sit in the place of once hearing these voices, but then there are those characters who drag you towards folly as well. And in one brings us back into order, and one leads to disorder and dysfunction. This is from Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor, and I, the reason why I wanted to bring this quote up, one, is because we're reading a different novel by Flannery O'Connor, but two, I think it describes a lot of what's going on in the modern world. Uh, in his second night in the town, Hazel Motes walked around the downtown close to the storefronts, but not looking into them. The black sky was underpinning with long silver streets that looked like scaffolding and depth on depth. Behind it were thousands of stars that seemed to be moving very slowly, as if they were about some vast construction work that involved the whole order of the universe and would take all the time to complete. No one was paying attention to the sky. The book goes on from this and doesn't revisit these themes, but one of the things O'Connor and her keen insight is pointing out is that we live in a world in which there is a vastness and an ordering, and, and we can look at the stars and see what God has done and participate in that and bring our lives into alignment in it, but no one was paying any attention to the sky. And she begins to talk about the shops and the town and what's going on in there again. And you can begin to see how this ordering that God has, has sort of put into creation. And, and in, and in um, one of the psalms we did, now I can't remember it off, oh, 50 for confession, Psalm 51, that it was taught to me in my mother's inmost places in the womb, uh, that wisdom. Lady Folly is there before the creation of the world. This brings us to what Brielle read from, from first, or Colossians 1, um, this idea that Christ is the firstborn of creation in whom all things hold together. When we talk about living in order as Christians, we talk about living in Christ. There's this great phrase that said, those who bear crosses um, uh, cut with the grain of the universe. And so we have this way of living our lives against the grain of the universe. This is, uh, if you're like Brian Stos, this is wood-cutting language. If you're like me, this is stake-cutting language. You cut against the grain, you cut with the grain, depending on what it is. But like when you cut against the grain, you make it harder. This is against the current. 
There's a way of living our lives in which we are against the current of what God has designed. And there's this way, and the reason why I think that that speaks to us around order and, and what Lady Wisdom is calling us into is what we think because we live in a fallen world, to live in the way that God intended is to live against the current. But what actually is true is those who labor under crosses work with the grain of the universe. We have to have the proper vision here. There's, there's a phrase that is popular now, I think, of the upside-down kingdom. But, but properly seen, it's the right-side-up kingdom. It's disorder and dysfunction that causes us to think the proper way to live is upside-down. There's a right way up of living in this order. This is why order might be a better word than several of the other ones that I just proposed there. But we live in this tension of this world that sort of is, is falling apart into these new religions, um, and we see this disorder at play within the world. Um, yeah, so we are freed to be in right relation to things, to be freed to be in order in the world. So we've seen in Colossians the pattern of the one who holds it all together, that we cut with the grain of the universe, of the one who reconciles all things. Um, the second one is in Proverbs 8, we've, we heard the lady calling out and calling us into this order as it's existed from all time and all places. Um, the, the last quote I think I'll, I'll use for today, not from scripture, is this one from Wendell Berry, which is on the back of the bulletin. We all come from divorce. This is an age of divorce. Things that belong together have been taken apart, and you can't put it back together again. What you can do is the only thing that you can what you can do is the only thing that you can do. You can take two things that ought to be together and put them together. Two things, not all things. Then when we talk about what does it mean to be people of order in the world, we, we might be tempted to think in grand projects, to join one of the new political religions, to think that we can reorder everything if we just pull the right levers. But what I think Barry calls us to is the smaller, simple work of accepting our limits as creatures of gracious God and working in the work of putting two things together, one and another, not all things at once. Trusting in that that is the work of God that will be revealed in time, that we can work in the smaller cracks. And I like the way he says that we all come from divorce. We've all lived our lives in this world in which the, what has been established since the beginning, in the words of Proverbs, what has been in Christ, who is the firstborn of all creation, has become loss to us in ways. What the calling is for us as, as, as we think about order is to pick up the ways of being human again as they're taught to us by Jesus and through the Old Testament, as they are instructed to us from God. To accept our limitedness in the world as creatures. We tend to think we are the creators of all that is, or at least within reason. But the idea that there is one beyond us who has ordered and created all things is often lost on us. 
So the last thing for this one is this phrase from the psalm we read this morning. But I have calmed, and this is from the NRSV, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like I'm a weaned child with its mother. My soul is the weaned child that is within me. My soul is the weaned child that was within me. If we live in an age of disorder, and this is true of all Christians in all times and places, in which we are disordered in our relationship to God. We are disordered in our relationship to our neighbor. If we are disordered in our relationship to ourselves, how do we reclaim this place of being a soul that is like a weaned child within us? I think it's by revisiting what God has taught us by what God has drawn us into, by looking at the ways in which God has ordered the world for our flourishing. If you read the whole psalm, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not consider myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I don't know if the psalmist knows about 21st century politics, but my only job is concerning myself with matters too wonderful and too great for me. What is he talking about? The psalmist knows who he is and related in the created order. My soul, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful me, but I've calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. The Hebrew word for faith, one of them, the root is like mothers who carry their children by their side, which I think is a powerful example tied to this. This is, this is a psalm of faith that we are being carried in some ways. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, church, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The phrase that we use for this type of living is non-anxious presence. It comes from the work of Edwin Friedman, uh, most famously in his book, Failure of Nerve. He was a Jewish psychologist of, I don't, probably died in 2005. Uh, you can correct me later. Um, but uh, he was a Jewish psychologist, and he coined the frame of being a non-anxious presence. Non-anxious presences don't go around with the flow of the world worried about everything.